0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers
2: He has number five here. <laughs> where, where do you stand on that and the number and wanting to wear it or have well, talked to him?
0: And it's funny, you guys. Just know, this is real now. We're talking real numbers, and I haven't even I haven't even thought when you when you say when you tell somebody two fifty, I don't know what two fifty means. You forget all the zeros behind it. You know things are <laughs> things are a lot different now. So that was fifty-five now. Doesn't sound as good as five, but <laughs> hey, the, the number don't make the player, the player make the number.
1: Kayvon Thibodeau wanted number five. He got number five. There it is. Fifth overall pick in the draft, wearing number five. Got it away from Graham Gano. They apparently didn't have a field goal kicking competition to determine who gets. Number
2: five, this is such
1: a weird tradition. Chris, maybe you have a good story from your football past. The team owns the numbers. The team issues the numbers. I've always been fascinated by the NFL subculture of player wants number that other player has. Player strikes some sort of a deal to get that number From the player, whether it's a donation to charity, whether it's a donation to the charity that begins at home, i.e. right in the pocket of the player... It's just fascinating. The teams kind of step back and yep. let this experiment play out. As to, It's like you kids work it out among yourselves. That's, yes, we own the numbers, it. and we can right. decide whatever we want, but you
2: guys figure it out. I, I think that's really basically what it is at the end of the day. You're a grown man. This is your problem. You figure it out in the locker room. We're not going to get involved here and play favorites and do all of that. You, know, you will. You will make some guys angry in the locker room if you just start – taking numbers away for what another guy he's our new shiny toy screw you and your number that you grew up with your whole life screw you we like this guy we just drafted him and paid him money we're gonna give him your number that 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 will not work in the locker room you would have guys you know mfing and saying things under their breath to the about the coach and going you know what a jerk doing that taking that away so they usually do yes you walk in you get into a facility a rookie kind of figures out wait who's got my number they start to tell him he talks to the equipment people all right hey i don't know you want him here's his number you can call this player and deal with that the one that i dealt with that uh, that always will stand out to me you remember cadillac williams right the running back from auburn he he got drafted i think as a number 5 pick uh, in 2005 he wanted 24 he was twenty-four in the undefeated season at Auburn, but we had a guy named Tory Cox who was a great corner for us in Tampa. He'd been wearing twenty-four in college and growing up too, so he didn't want to give it away. So he drove a hard bargain. And, you know, finally they found a number that made sense and Cadillac had to, you know, dish up. I, I want to say that where things have gone up, inflation. Uh I feel like he paid him like sixty thousand dollars for the number twenty four. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Yeah! I think That's it was a lot of like money. That. Maybe fifty thousand. Yeah. Well, it was an important number to Tory Cox, like I said, because it had been a number he had been wearing in the NFL for two or three years to that point. I believe he wore it in college and in high school, so he wasn't g- going to give it away easily. That same year, a dispute was
1: resolved between two other players due to the allegation that. Clinton Portis. Oh, that's right. Stiffed. Right. Former Washington teammate, Fania Holite. Yeah. $40,000 was the transaction for the number. The initial 20 was paid. But then by the time the second 20 came due, holiday had been cut. Oh. So Portis, <laughs> yeah. Portis with his armchair legal reasoning, which really has some appeal. Hey, you're gone now. I'd have gotten the number for free. They cut you. All I had to do was wait, silly me. Yeah, and I would have gotten the number. I wish Dan Snyder, my good friend, would have told me that was one of the problems. Snyder and Portis were buddy buddy. I wish my good friend Dan Snyder would have told me that he was going to cut you, and I would have saved forty grand. He got sued and ultimately coughed up eighteen thousand dollars, not
2: twenty. He saved two grand, but I have a feeling the lawyer he paid a little bit more bit. than two grand yeah, in right. legal fees. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. No question it's, it's a touch. It's an important subject to players in a locker room. And Hey, one of the other rules of the locker room is you get careful gambling or doing business with the guy that might not be on the damn team anymore. That's, that's one of the golden rules. You, know, you don't you don't make see you know, a big bet at the end of training camp with a guy that you might go, hey, he might be the 65th guy on the roster. I'm not sure I'm going to make a big bet on, you know, some golf tournament or whatever. I got screwed over like that. Screwed over. Like, my rookie year, made a bet with a receiver, blah, blah, blah. He owed me a chunk of money about a month later. You know, he's a free agent. See you later. I never saw the money. Guy owes me like $600. I, I, every now and then I randomly text him. You still owe me 750 I believe, is the number, actually. I, I'm not going to let it go. When I see him, I'm going to collect. <laughs> In Giants lore, Jeff Fiegels actually has
1: gotten paid twice oh, that's right. for a jersey. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he gave up number 10 to eli manning right manning had to pay for the number 10 and then feagles had moved to 17 well Plexigo burris comes to town and wants number 17 for giving up 17 feagles ended up with a new outdoor kitchen at his house thanks to <laughs> that's great <Plexico> burris <laughs> to give up number 17 it, it really is amazing and and now that There are so many different players who can wear the numbers that previously were exclusive to quarterbacks and kickers and punters. We may see some more of these transactions as guys come into the NFL and punters give up the numbers that previously there weren't many guys that could have had it. Double digits, yes. Single digits, really, it wasn't until last year that that world opened up for running backs, receivers, defensive ends like right. Thibodeau, who can wear number five. Still it, it's, not used I, to I, it. I, I, lo- I, lo- I love o, I just love the ability to make – like I, I think anybody other than ineligible receivers on offense should be able to wear whatever you they like want. It. And and, those, and the eligible receivers shouldn't be able to wear the ineligible numbers. That's the only line that matters. Like, on defense, you wear, you should be able to wear whatever number you want. On offense, they just need to have the line of demarcation so yeah, the officials sure. can see who the ineligible players are.
2: I I I got used to it as the year went on. I still don't like it. I'm a traditionalist. I I want to see linebackers wearing fifties, and I I, I want to see you know defensive linemen and and ninety and seventy numbers, and yeah, maybe the fifties too. I, I I don't know what what it is. It just doesn't. It's not as professional looking to me. I don't know what I don't know what it is the way it looks on the field. It's just a mishmash of numbers, and it was a little confusing this year at times. But I don't know. I'm Johnny old traditionalist and. Uh, I guess I'll get used to it more and more. But the money for the jersey – go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. I was going to say it actually bothered me a lot more
1: when they allowed receivers to wear numbers in the teens back in the early part of the first decade of this century when they made that rule and Larry Fitzgerald shows up wearing number 11. That bothered me a lot more than just going open season because that felt like a weird half measure. Like if you're going to do that, just – just let running backs wear five. Remember well, they when had to Bush was, that, that was trying like, to
2: politic, right? Didn't they have to? I mean, I remember if I remember correctly, because I was getting you know towards the, this is happening at, in my career, they were really running out of numbers for the '80s. You know, between tight ends became like in vogue to where teams were like, wait, we want to keep four or five t- tight ends on the roster, and then you or, or uh, you know, so now you go, whoa, there's five numbers in the '80s. And then teams, if you had, you know, more than four or five receivers, and most teams do, you keep five, six, you know, for special teams and and, and things like that to where I think it, that's the reason that started, right? If I, I may be wrong, but I, I'm getting there, Mike. I don't know. I just don't like to, I don't like to see big linebackers wearing single digit numbers or defensive linemen wearing single digit numbers. I don't know the. the The big number looks good on the big guy. I want to see the big fat guy wearing 99 and see the two nines stretched out and not look correctly. That's part of the sport. I love that. So you want to see the three giant
1: asses of the Eagles <laughs> yes. defensive line. Right. We established that yesterday and you want their jerseys to be stretched so tight with the big numbers that it just creates that Jim Burt. Remember Jim Burt? Oh, of course you I didn't tell what number he was wearing. Right. Right. right? It was stretched so far apart. <laughs> exactly. Um, the The other thing too, is it makes you look larger if you have one of those numbers, like Michael Parsons Agreed. wearing number 11 last year. it, it I think if he'd have been wearing 99, he would have seemed bigger. And maybe that plays to his advantage. He kind of slips through the cracks because you don't really know what he is. Remember Tom Brady complained about that.
2: I don't know who the defensive backs are. I don't know who the linebackers are when I see these numbers. Yeah, no, that definitely would be annoying for me as a quarterback, and especially for a guy like Tom Brady who's playing that long because – you know again you don't have to worry about the details of what exactly what player that is you can just have a quick overview and see 20s and 50s and 40s and kind of know what position guys are to make a quicker assessment so I'm sure there was some some juggling in the brain there a little bit when for young for, for all quarterbacks uh, at the start of the season last year uh it, it it's interesting the whole thing is the jersey thing Mike I'll say this with the big money I didn't mean to go back this I just wanted to throw this out there there is like a camaraderie element to it that does play well in the locker room right it's one of those like Thibodeau there he is rookie big money rookie right everybody's gonna call him you got that big money rookie so now he's spread some of the wealth right and gave some of the money to and did his paid his respect to where guys in the locker room are gonna like that and it'll be a a jump off point To have fun and talk to him in the locker room. That's where it is a good thing a little bit when they just let the team, let the players do this. Because now when he walks in, guys will make jokes and say a few things, and it'll make him be indoctrinated into the team a lot quicker. I think I said that right. And the you did. And the money that was paid by Thibodeau to Graham Gano
1: will go to charity. So it's all That's for a good. good cause. Now, yeah. you went from number one to number two at Texas. Was that a commentary on the quality of your play, or was that <laughs> no? was that,
2: uh, was that uh, negotiated? Well, they, no, they, yes. I, I, well, when I committed to Texas, right, and this just, just speaks to the point. Actually, I was number two in high school. I wanted to be number two. When I, when I was getting ready to commit, I was like, so can I be number two? And they promised, oh, yeah, you'll be number two, Chris. You'll be number two. You'll be number two. Tim Brewster, the guy that recruited me, Mac Brown, yep, we'll get you number two. You'll play quarterback at number two. I got down there, and they were like, two's taken. We don't have two. There was three number twos on the team already. Nope, we can't give it to you. Maybe if you want to talk to one of them and figure it out, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I ended up going to number one, which I didn't really like. Bad decision by me. Didn't love it, but eventually got two my senior year, and then of course, you know, wore that as much as I could in the NFL as well.
1: Do Do you feel different though? Isn't that weird? Yes. Like it's just the
2: paint on your
1: jersey. I know. Why Why does it make you feel different? Well,
2: they're just you can feel it. You know, you, you so much of football is watching film, and you see yourself and you know, then you're out on the field and it's like, you know what you look like. And you just go, damn, I don't like that. And you know, I took one cause I was like, wait, I'm tall and slender. That'll look cool in a uniform. But also I think people took that as like, Oh, what, what happens with number one? People go, well, you think she's number one. What a jerk that guy is. And it was, that, that's where it was a mistake. That's where you kind of, you know, walk a fine line with that number. And I should have just picked Well, the next number I wanted to pick was 11, but the damn jerk major Applewhite had it. So I couldn't get that either. So it was a, it was an issue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did he wear number 11 because he idolized a certain quarterback in the NFL who
2: wore number 11? No, I don't don't think that that's it. In fact, he got it from Uh, Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams was 11 before he turned to 34 his senior year. So there's a story there. If Cadillac Williams decides to make a comeback this year and
1: joins the Giants, he won't have to pay anyone for number 24. Number 24 is now available. James Bradbury was released yesterday by the Giants after efforts to trade him went nowhere. What what a contrast. Now, there are differences, but yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about a team that refuses to release a guy that they know they can't trade. The Giants have a guy they know they can't trade, so let's just cut him. Now they get cap relief, so there is a benefit to the Giants in letting James Bradbury go. But if they wanted to carry the extra cap number, they could have always cut him late. They could yeah, have cut him before could've. the start of the regular season. Right. His salary is not guaranteed. They could have waited. They didn't have to do it now. They tried to trade him to the Texans. It fell apart because they couldn't reach a deal on what the, the new Texans deal would, would pay him right. financially. So, right. so uh The Giants, instead of delaying the inevitable, they just cut the cord. They could have waited for an injury. More likely to have a cornerback injury somewhere else between now and week one than a quarterback injury. So a contrast in styles. Hey, we're done with this guy. We're moving on. Yeah, we could gain some tangible, minuscule benefit by waiting. We're taking the cap space now. We're moving on. See you later, James Bradbury.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, You know, there's first off, James Bradbury's a good player. There's no question. But I think what we're seeing here with this situation is this is where the world's meat of, wait, player and what we're actually going to pay that player. Whoa, the Giants are paying him like he's an island shut down Jalen Ramsey type corner. Negative ghost rider. He's not that. So that's where trade discussions fall apart as in example of the Texans. They didn't want to pay him. What was the number he was going to get this year? Mike 18, 17, Tw- yeah, and the cap number was 21 20, million. 21, right? So that 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 just was not going to fly with most teams. When you turn on the film and watch James Bradbury, you're going to go, "Hey, this guy's good. Damn, I'd love him to start on our football team. No question." But he's not a guy that, you know, is one of the elite corners where you're going to go, hey, just cover that guy all game long and you'll shut him down. And I think that's where the league, you know, came to that realization. The Giants as well. And that's why, you know, James Bribery now be a hot free agent commodity out there. Drafted by the Panthers when Dave Gettleman was the GM
1: there. He became a free agent in 2020 and Gettleman gave him a three-year $45 million contract. Pro Bowler the first year fell off dramatically last year and the new regime ready to move on and they waited last week joe shane the gm of the team said he was surprised there wasn't more trade interest but it's driven by what you're inheriting and if you're the player and as part of a trade they want you to take less money why why should i just cut me and i'll go wherever i want to go i'll become a free agent right then and then instead get a of that team and, having to – yeah, and instead of that team having to give you something to get me, they can just go sign me. And I, we talk about this all the time. Right. There's, a, there's a sliding scale there. The more you have to give up to get the player, the less you're willing to pay him. The less you have to give up to get the player, the more you're willing to pay. And he's going to make more money on the open market than he would if there was a trade obligation with a contract that needed to be renegotiated. Now the Raiders emerge as a potential target which makes sense any of these teams in the AFC in the AFC West with the arms race going on with the offenses, anything you can do to make your secondary better, you're going to be better off and not, not, you know, he's not. And and I think you put it best. He's not a shutdown. Number one corner. That doesn't mean he has no place in the NFL. Exactly right. He just doesn't have
2: a place for how he was being paid in the NFL. Exactly. Exactly right. I mean, this is again, what we've seen. I mean, the latest example of like, I mean, uh, the, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, the Giants bad team building, bad contracts over the last few years, and you're seeing these guys fall by the wayside from the Gettleman era. I mean, it was just that was another guy that when got that kind of money, people in the league, including me, were like, "Whoa, you're going to pay that for him? He's good, but you know, he plays a lot of zone down there in Carolina. It, it's not you know like we're talking about where you just go Glock him up, you got him. So uh, I, I think that's the other thing too. It just didn't meet that way. But teams that value, you know, a guy that can do a little bit of everything. He's got good size. You can feel comfortable about matching him up against a good receiver from time to time, of course. And then he he knows he knows how to play. He's a smart football player. He's good in zone coverages. So that's where he's going to be of value. And I could see, you know, the Raiders and, and of course, that Pat Graham, uh, them liking him because he can digest all the things in that New England scheme and all of that. I would think there's going to be – you know, a pretty good market here for him as far as uh, finding a new team. I don't think he'll be on the street long. And it would have been
1: better for him to be available in March when yeah, the budgets yeah. were still at maximum capacity. Teams hadn't spent their money. The land rush hadn't begun for the other players. That's why, even in a three-year deal, whatever the length of the deal, it's important. And I know this isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not like... You demand it, and the team's going to say, we're going to give it to you. But I think it's important from the player's perspective to always have some sort of a trigger that forces a decision early. Now, Bradbury may have had like a $2 million roster bonus he's already earned, but it wasn't enough to get the Giants to say, we're going to cut him in lieu of paying. I mean, it may have been guaranteed. I'd have to look into the details of the contract, but the bottom line is, You want to force it to a head, whatever it takes, whatever terms you need to put in there in the third year, fourth year, fifth year, the out years of the contract, when you get beyond the guaranteed money. Once you're past the guaranteed money at signing, you want decisions to be made at or about the time the league year starts in March. So if the player is going to be cut, he'll be available. And if he's not going to be cut, there's enough of a a financial commitment that they're not going to cut him later either. Right. You're forced to make a decision then.
2: Yeah, no, no question. That's why you you, you want the the good agent for, for the things you've discussed so many times. You know, don't screw it over. Now this is different too. They're not screwing him over. You know, we talked about Baker Mayfield yesterday. This is something that he's been aware of for a very long time. I believe his agent's been able to help facilitate this whole issue to a degree. If I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Right. There. No. But if he's cut in the middle of of March, it's a lot better for him than in the middle of May. No question. There's there's still – yes. But the good thing is corners, like you've talked about even in the AFC West, there's always a need for a good corner on a football team. There's just too many good receivers and quarterbacks to the point you made a few minutes ago. And I would think there's still some teams out there that you look after the draft and go – They can't be like, oh, wow, we're great in the secondary. I mean, like your Minnesota Vikings. Yes, you drafted two guys in the secondary. I I, I don't look at you guys and go, well, they're good. They don't need any other good players in there. No. Patrick Peterson's maybe in his last year of his career. He's coming to the end. I could see your Vikings being involved. I could still see the Texans being involved. He came from Carolina with Ron Rivera and company. I could see Washington. There's a need there, a corner. That makes sense. We talked about the Raiders. You know the Bills, they have a Carolina connection there. I would think he could fit. Oh, zone, pretty good man, smart guy. That makes sense there. So I, I don't think he's going to have a hard time finding a market and finding a nice little payday and a place to play here soon. Yeah, Brandon, being the GM of the Bills was still in Carolina at the time that right, Bradbury so there you was go. drafted, so right. he'll
1: have an opinion. You find out. What the yeah, opinions what are of a <laughs> right. player like jim James Bradbury right. when he's available? Like, yeah, oh, I've known him for a long time. Well, he's available. You interested? Well, I think we're fine at the position, which tells you everything you need to know. Um, other teams that could be interested. I mean, really, anybody in the AFC that's got to deal with one of these high-powered offenses, you have to at least look at the possibility. What it's going to cost you. What you're going to get. How much is it going to help your secondary? Not a lot of the defenses in the AFC can say we're ready to go. We're ready to go face the best of the best that the AFC offensive
2: firepower has to offer. No, the, you're, you're right. And and again, I think what we're seeing here with some of these teams, I mean, they're built where you got to have more than one good corner on your team. I mean, if it's third and four and you're playing one of these AFC teams that you're talking about where you go, well, it's third and four. They got a good offense that's creative and they got a quarterback who's smart and knows where to go to the ball we can't always just play zone we need to have two or three corners that can match up against the two or three freak shows they got a receiver every now and then to where we can play man and you know not let the scheme get them open and and make things tough on a quarterback to make a tough throw so uh that's where you know again like I said it's hard to pinpoint we've named a few teams but I think any team you look at really and just go, ooh, they only have two corners that they're comfortable with or you know, maybe one or three. I mean, you can add value to your team with Bradbury and be a lot better defense with him on the field.
1: Yeah, and uh, we'll see how it goes. He becomes a free agent immediately. Anybody with four or more years of surface cut before the trade deadline is free and clear, able to go wherever he wants, and the Giants now move on and we see where he lands. And we appreciate that because it gives us – a story to follow in May other than Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. So thank you very much for that. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying so, it. So, I'm not so, saying slow. it. All, all, I'm, <laughs> all I'm saying is that I appreciate very much the fact that we have something to cover other than the life and times of Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jarvis Landry is a name that has been largely forgotten. He was cut by the Browns before free agency began. He got a head start on finding a new team, he's been unable to do so. The biggest problem, his financial expectations. It's got to be hard for him right. to reconcile where he fits in the current hierarchy of paying receivers because the market's gone haywire. I heard at 1.1 he wanted $20 million a year, and I got some pushback on that from the Landry camp. But as time has gone by, I don't know. Oh, I mean, 20 million's middle of the pack now. It's not so crazy to want only 20 million a year if you're a receiver. Landry's not the kind of guy that's going to strike fear in the heart of a defense. He's not going to be game planned for. Right. But he's a reliable underneath, throw the ball anywhere close to him. He's going to catch it. And he's got toughness. He's got leadership abilities. He's going to make someone better. The question is, when is that ship going to come in? And reportedly, the Ravens. Who traded Hollywood Brown even though they didn't want to? They haven't needed the position. They weren't able to draft any receivers. They added like five in undrafted free agency. But if they can work out a reasonable deal, and if Landry is willing to go join an offense where maybe they don't throw the ball as much as they did in Cleveland, then it could be a home as he tries to move forward with his career.
2: Uh, uh, yes. I, to me, it's like a, it's a match made in heaven. That, that's how I look at it more than anything. Mike, we discussed this, right? I mean, one, I I think this is the route the Baltimore Ravens are going to have to go every year right now with Lamar Jackson, a quarterback. Who's the good veteran free agent wide receiver that's out there that makes sense for our football team? Last year was Sammy Watkins. We talked about Marquise Hollywood Brown. A lot of these free agent receivers that are big time and got a lot of options, they're not going to pick Baltimore. They're not going to pick Baltimore and, you know, there's seven different running backs and the running quarterback and do all that and think they're going to go there and get paid and make a lot of, you know, a lot of receptions and stats and all that. So this is the way to go. And Landry, you know, everything you said, Mike, I mean, he fits the mold of the Ravens. He is tough. He will do the dirty work. He's a great run blocker. He's going to add attitude to that football team. This this makes too much sense. And I don't think, you, you know, even though, you like you said, $20 million middle of the road – I don't think you're going to have to pay Jarvis Landry that. No, no, not now. I mean, no, not now. Exactly where the market is now. He's got a good clue. And you said it right. He doesn't scare you. He's not a separation guy. He's more like we got to work to find him to get the ball in his hand, and then he can make a guy miss and break a tackle and do stuff like that. But he's not going to just separate from people downfield running routes all the time. That's not his game. They go through the phases, and I would too. Anger,
1: denial, bargaining, depression, acceptance. You have to let it process. You have to get to the point where you recognize I'm not going to get what I want. I should get what I want. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm pissed that I'm not going to get what I want. I'm upset I'm not going to get what I want. Maybe I can get something close to what I want. Oh, maybe I can't. Oh, well, I'll just take what I can get because I want to play football, and it takes a couple of months to work that out and and for, for some of these veterans that have made plenty of money there's no rush at this point once you know you're not getting what you want there really isn't a rush until a team can convince you hey if you don't do the deal that we've got on the tee for you we may pivot in a different direction but I think this is perfect for the Ravens he's got the mindset right. that has epitomized right. the Ravens overall approach to football rough and tumble physical style and they oh, will uh, hate Cleveland. It, it, it could, it could work. And it, it could. Oh, yeah, it, ex- yeah right. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's look, guys can say they don't care. It's a business. And I'm just trying to, yeah, But if you can throw in the added benefit of trying to stick it to a team that, that you think didn't treat you the way that it should. And there were issues and, you know, he was closely aligned with OBJ and I'm sure there was stuff that happened there that, that he wasn't happy about. And, it's just amazing how quickly, in the grand scheme of things, relationships can sour. I remember day one of the 2019, not that long ago, yeah. off-season program, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., three amigos. They're there the first day. Right. Everything's great. It's a new dawn in Cleveland. Think about all that optimism. They'd had that turnaround late in 2018 created real expectations that they were going to be a significant contender in 2019 Mayfield Landry Beckham. Everything's great. Three years later, they're all going to be gone. All three of them are going to be gone. Yeah. And what did they do? They made it to the playoffs once they scared the chiefs beat the Steelers. There's some fluky stuff that happened early in the game that created a lead that was never going to be blown. Yeah, that's right. But what have the, what have they, what have they really done to deliver on the promise they had going into that 2019 season? It's been, a, I think it's, I think it's, In some ways, tougher to be a Browns fan when you feel like the team is better than it's actually able to show. Yeah, there's expectations. Then if it's just bad and you just get used to it, it's like you know we're used we're used to being bad. We're used to having no expectations. We're used to being bottom of the barrel. When you feel like the team is
2: dramatically better, but they can't cash in on those expectations. That's got to be frustrating. Got it hurts. It's like it's like living in the Northeast right now. We get a nice day and we go, oh, man, here comes spring. And then the next 10 days after that is 45 degrees. And you're like, damn, are we ever going to get there? I mean, it, it, it is a little bit of that, like, same feeling there. Um, man, I was going to say something else to add to that. And uh, I forgot what the heck I was going to say there. Oh, man. Um. What the heck did you end It's going to be nice this week. It's it, going it, to be nice this week.
1: Yes, that's it, what. I, when it, you complain about there. it's going to be cold, it's going to be in the 80s all you know until through, through Sunday. I've got 80s here in West Virginia, mm-hmm. and we are we are not quite northeast, so maybe it'll be a few degrees cooler now that we have turned this into a weather program. I <laughs> the, forgot the, where uh, I was going with that. I was going to pick. You're so excited. <laughs> You're so excited about being able to sit
2: outside and smoke instead of in your barn and smoke. <laughs> yeah, seriously. completely
1: lost track of what you
2: were going to say. Exactly right. And I have not, I've totally lost tra- train thought of what I was going to say. I tried to say too many things and anyway. I was writing it down. Browns. And I lost my... The Browns is the Browns. Yes, We right. were back to that. No question. We were going to,
1: I didn't get, I didn't get enough <laughs> negative feedback
2: yesterday. I'm sure. From,
1: uh a team facility in Berea, Ohio. Let's go back to, it it is amazing to your point.
2: It's amazing. Yeah. It's just amazing. You're right. You're better off not being teased. They got teased. That's what my point was. They got the tease of like, Oh wait, things are going, you know, good. It looks like, you know, we made a turn for the better. We're out of the woods. We're going to be good. Oh my gosh. We were almost going to beat the chiefs, man. Maybe we're a super bowl contender. Man, that idiot Chris Sims picked us to be in the Super Bowl in 2021. What an idiot he is. We're back to the Browns again. And yes, it's uh the Browns is the Browns has become a thing again. And there they are
1: in the uniform that they will never wear again. Although there still is there still is a way the dominoes fall that Mayfield's back this year. I don't I don't see it. We're gonna talk about the the quarterback whose absence could create an urgency for Mayfield to be part of the team coming up later in the broadcast. Let's pivot now to yeah. a running back who was a first-round pick of the New England Patriots, traded last year to the Rams after a need emerged following the season ending until his season began very late. Injury to Cam Akers. Remember, he tore Achilles just before the start of training camp, made it back late in the season somehow. Cam Akers back, Sony Michelle out as a free agent, Reportedly signs with the Miami Dolphins. He led the Rams last year with 845 rushing yards, but he became a backup in the postseason after Akers returned. Michelle joins a fairly crowded house in Miami. That was my first thought. Like, why do they need another running back right now? They added Raheem Mostert. They added Chase Edmonds. They had some guys already there. What are they thinking here? And bringing in Sony Michelle, and is there something we don't know? Is there somebody injured we don't know about? You know, is this one of these signings yeah. where it's going to make sense a week from now why they went out and got Sony Michelle? Because it really didn't make immediate sense to me.
2: No, it, it doesn't. When you look at it at face value, I, I, I hear you because that's the first thing you think of. But but here here would be my two cents on it. You know, again, just knowing this 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 staff McDaniel, you know. From, uh, from the 49ers with Shanahan, know how their brain works a little bit. It's the Shanahan run scheme. It's the run system. Their offense, it's one of the few in football that we've discussed, Mike, where you know Shanahan, McDaniel, they start their week off by, how am I going to screw you over in the run game? Where most of the NFL is going, I'm going to screw you over in the pass game. Let me figure it out. That's where their offense is built off of. So they're not going to take the chance of, wait, we only got two or three running backs on the roster, but you know they're good ones. And we'll go, oh, wait, the first one got hurt in week one. Oh, wait, the second one got hurt in week three because we do all these crazy run plays and ask our running backs to be crazy and run hard as hell. Oh, no, now my I'm down to one guy and, oh, my offense changed and all that. I, that's why they're going to do it. They're not going to let it go, fall back into, oh, wait, we can't do what we want to do on offense, or, oh, wait, now we have to put more back on Tua's shoulders, and he has to carry us and throw us the football. So I think that's what they do, Mike, there. And you said, like, Mozart he's got an injury history. Chase Edmonds, he was hurt a little last year. Sonny Michel, he does have a little bit of injury history, too. So I think it's a, a protective numbers thing more than anything, so they can continue to do what they do. And there's a a contrast in my mind between the
1: Patriots who have a huge stable of running backs and you never quite know who they're going to use and the 49ers approach. The Patriots approach seems to be we're going to pick a guy from our selection of running backs who can best implement the game plan we've devised for this upcoming opponent. With the 49ers approach, it just seems to be we're going to use all of them until somebody gets hot. I agree. And when somebody gets hot, that's the guy until something breaks. And then we go back to using all of them until someone gets hot again. Yeah,
2: right. I I think that's very fair. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's what it, it always has seemed. You're right with the Shanahan and the 49ers. It's all right. He's got the hot hand. His ass is on fire today. Let's just keep giving him the ball. And we'll just, hey, keep flying through there go crazy boom 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 and then yeah they're going to ride that until it fizzles out or he gets hurt and then they go to the next one you're right that, but I think you explained that perfectly and I think that's what their thought process is down there it is it's different than the you know oh it's the patriots wait we got to play we got to run the ball between the tackles this week is LeGarrette Blunt we're going to play him 90% of the game oh this week we got to throw Oh, forget Lou Blunt. I know he had a good game last week. It's James White's game this week, and now he's going to play. Uh, there is. There's a different mindset there between those organizations for sure, Mike. Also, I have done the research,
1: the very high-level analytics. Sony Michelle has a very high catch rate of the three-yard pass. So another reason to fit the <laughs> You're <funny>.
2: Miami offense. <laughs> You're funny. You're going to piss off 2-9. us <laughs> a break. Better watch <laughs> out. Let's take a break. All right. Piss
1: off everybody. <laughs> what the hell? I'm used right. to it. I Your don't care. Your name's Mike Florio. Uh, we'll, make, <laughs> we'll make Jets fans happy today. Robert Sala is going to join us at the top of the hour live, not on tape. So we, we'll, we'll be operating without a net. But you know what? We, we're, we're getting more and more comfortable as we slip into this hot water of Dropping, uh, dropping. Uh, maybe we can get Sala to say something. Oh, no, we say. could probably do maybe, it.
0: He'll do maybe it. We can get we Sala can to go F ball. <laughs> yeah. like, like,
2: it's
1: not like he's going to get fired. Uh, when we return, though, the Broncos uh, could end up having the richest owner in the NFL by far, and a rich guy in Dallas could eventually get richer as well. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The Denver Broncos still looking for an owner. Rob Walton, the former chair of Walmart, the son of the founder of the company, $69.5 billion net worth, more than $50 billion in net worth, more than the current richest NFL owner, who is David Tepper of the Carolina wow. Panthers. So Rob Walton is the second candidate to visit the Broncos facility. There are five groups now. They are not finalists because others could get involved. We'll see how that all plays out. But, Chris, look, at one point the reporting was, ooh, the Broncos are going to go for $4 billion. It's going to be the biggest transaction of any sports team in American history. Change the 4-to-5. Yeah. It's going for at least five, folks. And as time passes, these teams are increasing in value. All of the metrics are up. The numbers are up. The TV revenue is up. The gambling revenue is up. They expect to share a billion dollars in money for nothing from gambling interest by the end of the decade. The values of these teams will keep going up and up and up. And the sooner that one of these groups says, here's our final offer, take it. (laughs) The, 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 The sooner they turn off the faucet as these numbers keep going up for this specific transaction, and they want to get it done by the start of the season, we'll see if it does or it doesn't, but the Broncos may benefit from a bidding worth. At the end of the day, what is something worth, ultimately? What is it worth? It is worth what someone will pay for it. That's it. You can justify the value, and you can... Fudge the numbers all you want. You are worth what someone will pay. And if you can get a couple of these oligarchs into a bidding war, advantage beneficiaries of the Pat Boland trust who will divide whatever that final sale price is. But yeah. 5 billion Ooh. is
2: now the floor. It's crazy. I believe it's expected to be the floor, 5 billion. I, I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, like I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked. I, I guess that's kind of how I feel. I mean, first off, it's like a joke. I, I want to go back as a player. I want to go. <laughs> and the salary cap didn't go up in 2020, as each owner benefits from a billion dollars more worth of their team now. Like uh, that bothers me. But either way, yeah. I mean, hey, these guys, uh, the, this, the Walton, they got money to spare, obviously. What's the extra few hundred million to get a toy or? You know, an asset that you like, you know, is going to continue to hold its value and then some and continue to go up. So it, it's crazy. I just I sit here and go, man, if the Denver Broncos sell for five plus million, what are the Giants? What are the Patriots? What are the Cowboys worth if you end up, you know, selling them? That That, that is to me where it just it, my mind explodes to see or think of some of these prices that are out there for the franchises right now compared to when I was growing up in the late 90s and the Patriots or the Buccaneers are getting sold and all that just it's it's crazy to where the league and the numbers have gone in 2018 David Tepper bought the Panthers for
1: 2.275 billion which was a record when you roll it back over the years, I mean, the numbers just kept going up and up and up. Four years earlier, the Bills go for $1.4 which was the highest number at the time. 2012, the first team to go for a billion was the Browns to Jimmy Haslam. That's a huge number at the time. All the way back to 2000, Woody Johnson bought the Jets for $635 million. That's Holy cow. if we're talking about winning, $5 billion. Winning. Yeah, and, and to take it all the way back to Jerry Jones... With the Cowboys, he paid 150 million for the Dallas Cowboys. Winning. and if they were to sell the Cowboys now, and they won't, but if they,
2: it's got to be at least 10 billion. I got to think it's somewhere in there. It's, it's got to be at least it's close billion. to double the Broncos. I, I would think. I mean, yes, I, and not, no disrespect to the Broncos, but come on, the Cowboys are a special special entity. I mean, they're they're arguably the most expensive franchise in our country for sure. And here's
1: where it's critical for these really rich families who intend to maintain the asset from one generation to the next. And I had a conversation with some, someone about this over the weekend. This is critically important and it gets overlooked. You better have a damn good estate plan. Because when the patriarch or the matriarch of the family dies and control passes to someone else, the equity passes to someone else. And the equity, the value... Even if you're not going to sell it, whatever that value is of the team, you got to pay estate taxes on it. So you got to come up with a load of money. You've got to come up with a ton of money to satisfy the government in order to facilitate the what, transaction. What is that you number? Raise that money. Like,
2: like what? What's half? Yeah, it's half. Yeah, it it's is. Half. yeah okay. And right.
1: don't get me started on this. Look, I, I'm I am I'm proud to pay my fair share. But let me tell you this: the idea of paying taxes. While I earn it and then having to pay taxes on the money I've already paid the taxes on as I earned it later is offensive to me. I agree. Offensive to me. Every once in a while you hear talk about, oh, the the wealth tax. And and again, I don't want to. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The people who amass the wealth are paying that. Well, some aren't. That's the problem. Well, that, well, that, but yes, Assuming you're paying your taxes life, as like you amass it. your right, wealth. Right. Assuming that you're paying your taxes as you amass your wealth. How dare the government come back and dip their beak again.
2: I don't get that the money either. that
1: you've already made and paid and your paid taxes more. on.
2: Right, right. That's ridiculous.
1: And look, look. I don't know why I care about. It's not like I'm going to have an estate that even is worth being taxed. No, but and I have is fair. bigger problems. I'll be dead. Like that's I, one of the conversations. Well, it's like my wife and I used to have. Hey, you need more life insurance? Why? I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ensure that my life will continue. You give me that kind of life insurance, I'm in. But I don't care. And, and that that conversation never goes well. But uh, but anyway, yeah. Teams are going to have to be sold because of it, Mark, Mark. I don't know what kind of a plan the Raiders have when the widow of Al Davis passes. Mark's going to have to come up with one hell of a check for Uncle Sam. I, I Mark don't, better I don't, be ready I, that, to that give means, Uncle Sam yeah.
2: a shitload of money. It's ludicrous. He better be ready, or it's he's going to have to sell. It is. It, it's, it's ludicrous. It, I'm as I'm as passionate about that as I am. Like you know, again, I, I think you're probably here along the same lines as me. Is. You know, I'd like to see some of these millionaires pay more taxes in their real life and the real world and, you know, help the disparity between, you know, the wealthy and the, the poor right now, which is as big as it's ever been in the history of our country. Uh, but like this one here, I, I can't be mad at the billionaires or anybody. And that that, that does not make sense. It doesn't seem right. that, that That's how it goes down. Uh, but I, I am interested to see how this goes and what the final number is here. I, it's like I almost want, just for the sake of a little entertainment, I'd love to see some other, you know, 50 billion plus guy get involved with this with Rob Walton and see a little bidding water and see where it goes here. I mean, that'd be kind of cool to see. Get Elon Musk. <laughs> get Elon Come Musk on, Elon. What the hell? I mean, it's only Twitter. That was like a drop in the bucket. Now buy a team. Come on, I, hurry up. Listen. <laughs>
1: I don't, I, don't, I don't know how he's going to make any money off of Twitter. I know how you make money off of football. You just sit back and it pours on your desk. That's how you make money off of football. So very easy to justify the investment in an NFL franchise, even at $5 billion. Plus, this also came up yesterday. The mayor of Dallas wants an expansion franchise and says the area could support two teams. Now, Eric Johnson is making the argument to build a second stadium and Uh do it even if Jerry Jones doesn't want it to be done. No, 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 that's not how you get it done. You don't do that. You put another team in Jerry Jones Stadium, and Jerry Jones becomes the landlord. And Jerry Jones now has 20 NFL games per year, not 10. That's how you do it. And maybe Eric Johnson is throwing out the idea of a second stadium just to create a compromise point where, hey, we'll have two teams and they both play at AT AT&T Stadium. But that's what'll happen. It costs too much to build a stadium. You don't have to go out and raise the money. You don't have to pay the money. You already have a perfectly good stadium. Two teams in New York in the same stadium. Two teams in LA in the same stadium. Jerry Jones already has the stadium. He can be the landlord for some other team, just like his good buddy Stan Kroenke is with... His stadium, SoFi, the Chargers are a tenant, and Stan Kroenke is the landlord. So Dallas, the metro area, is growing. It's going to surpass Chicago. Chicago currently has two baseball teams. I've said in the past Chicago maybe should have two NFL teams, and Dallas could do two NFL teams. I'm convinced they could pull it off. And it's no threat to the Cowboys. The Cowboys are always going to be the Cowboys. I think it's the ultimate flex if you're Jerry Jones and you say, go ahead, put some other team here. We're still the Cowboys. They're still going to pack the place for our games, and maybe they'll pack the place for the other games. Every Sunday, every weekend of the year, we can have a game in this stadium that is an NFL game. Think of the money that would be generated by Jerry Jones, and that's the way to appeal to him. You don't have to do anything, Jerry. You don't have to do anything. You just have another NFL game that people are going to show up for. They're going to give you a ton of money and you just sit back and you get richer and richer and
2: richer and you'll be able to pay the estate taxes when you die and you pass the team to your kids. I wonder, I, I, you know, I I mean, I wonder, I mean, again, I, I hear what you're saying. I do. I don't know if I would think Jerry would necessarily feel like that. I don't. They like being the king of Texas and they're clearly the king of Texas and the king of Dallas and forget that have become the king of a region there where that's where I, I would love to know like what Jerry Jones's thought or feeling is on that, that situation there. Uh, Dallas, hey, it's a great city. We know they love football down in Texas 100%. Man, but they are loyal to that team there too. And, yes, he's going to get more money that way, but it also can infringe on, you know, I guess the, the allure of the Cowboys to a degree. Uh, that's where maybe I could see a little pushback there. I but, I mean, as will. a sense from the will. NFL, it makes sense. I hear you. Well, and
1: I look at it this way. The NFL currently has 17 games in the regular season. I think it's just a matter of time before it expands to 18. Why? Because of the ongoing spread of legalized sports betting. You need more games on which to bet. So you add another week of games, more opportunities for people to consume the games, to bet on the games, more money for everybody connected to the sport. After 18, that's it. There's nowhere else in the pizza where you can cram cheese. Now, maybe there will be a thought, well, we'll just get rid of the preseason altogether and and play 20 games that count. I don't think that's ever going to fly. The only way you expand the inventory of games beyond 18 is to add teams. That's where I think 34, 36, 38, 40 potentially comes into play. So if you're going to have expansion teams, where are you going to put them? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to be? That's why you have to look at the biggest cities first and say, can we add a second team and have them play in an existing stadium? We don't have to do this dance with some reluctant government that is going to pay a certain amount and we have to pay and we build this venue. No, we've got a place that's perfectly fine. And and again, this isn't quite the whole USFL concept where we're going to play all the games in one stadium and they're only going to show up for the, the Birmingham game at the Birmingham stadium. But... It's not about the fans in attendance when the revenue is generated by TV and gambling. It's not. And, and also, when the live betting options throughout the course of the game become as robust as I expect them to be, it's all the more reason to show up for the game. You, you, you walk into this open-air casino where you're watching the game. But you're also betting on the game as you watch the game, every play if you want. Even if you're not a fan of the Dallas B team, whoever it would be, it's an opportunity to go watch an NFL game and spend three hours betting on what's going to happen one play at a time. I think that's the mechanism the NFL is thinking of and will force it, I think, at some point, hopefully in my lifetime, to expand. And I think it'll be more than just a couple of teams. I really do think once they recognize this is the only way we have
2: more games, Chris – we need more teams. Yeah, I, I certainly could see it going that way. I can. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's the, the sports is hot and as popular as ever. You know, kids and people playing the sport, it, the numbers seem pretty damn good there, too. And, of course, the elite athlete kids are, are love football, so it doesn't seem like there's going to be a supply and demand issue as far. Now, I do think there's a limit to how many teams we can add here. I do, but I'm with you, Mike. I mean, I think Somewhere here in the next 10 to 12 years, I would think second team in Dallas, second team in Chicago, find a team to replace the Oakland Raiders and another team in the Bay Area will be three places right off the bat that are going to be looked at to go and play. And play yeah. at Levi's Stadium. Sure. But for the fact that the Raiders and the
1: 49ers hate each other, the easy solution for the Oakland situation was to play in the stadium that is closer to Oakland than it is to San Francisco. I know. But the two teams hate each other, so that was never an option. Now, I think the NFL is happy to be in Las Vegas. It worked out well right, for right. everybody. But but you just put another team. You put an Oakland team in Oakland. It plays It's so easy. It's, it's
2: elementary. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. You don't even have to cross paths with a team that is not in your conference and that you only like seeing the preseason. Who the hell cares? It's just, yes, that was a stupid, you know, fighting point, I know, at one point out there in the Bay Area. But, I mean, the Jets and the Giants, they don't love each other. Maybe there's not the same hate as the 49ers Raiders, but – they have nothing to do with each other they never cross paths they never see each other the facilities are nowhere near each other and when the Jets got a home game the stadium's all green and when the Giants do the next week it's all blue and red I mean that's as that's as far as it goes and it's so easy it's it's laughable this day and age like you're talking about
1: now London becomes an option for two teams as Al Michaels always said years before L.A. got a team back. If the NFL ever returns to L.A., it will be with two teams, and he was dead on the money with that. You've already got two NFL-ready stadiums in London. They're already setting it up for two teams to be in London. If you're going to do one, you do two. Then those two teams play each other twice a year. They're in the same division. It makes it it makes a natural rivalry. It creates interest, the London A versus the London B or the London B versus the London A, whatever names they would be, whatever teams they would be. It, it, it would be a big deal, and that would be a way to generate even more interest in England. Um, the Redcoats. We and, already and named another, their team. They're the London Redcoats. Another <laughs> another angle. Another angle. I, I've had conversations with people about the size of NFL stadiums, and there are people in the league who believe the stadiums don't need to be as big as they are because mm. the money you make off of the second deck... It's pennies, the, right? It's It's not worth... Yeah, the money that it costs to facilitate all those people in your entire building—it's not worth it for They're the what, lower that level? comes from the upper it deck boxes. You
2: or no smaller it's... stadiums, gotcha.
1: but smaller stadiums. Right. You know, bigger ticket items. But but what happens is if you have a shift toward the more intimate, almost baseball-sized stadiums for some teams, it opens up some, opens up markets that you would never think about you know whether it's Oklahoma City you know other smaller markets that could put 40,000 in a stadium but could never get close to 70,000 sure. on a consistent basis sure that that so there are other cities that could come into play here um, because when we start thinking new, well, well, St. Louis, Oakland, San Diego, those are the cities that had, yeah, we don't teams. need 80,000 than that.
2: We don't need it though. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I the money's I kinda... coming
1: from TV and gambling. Exactly.
2: It's coming from TV and gambling in the future. No doubt about it. And, and, and where are they making their money? Pub, uh, beer parking and luxury suite sales, right? That that's the other one that I know is the huge. So yeah. And the stadiums like that, we've seen that in basketball and in baseball where they've downsized stadiums, made them a little more intimate. Added more of the luxurious part, like you're talking about, and it's still got a great feel on on TV. I mean, baseball team, baseball stadiums have have shrunken considerably, you know, from where they were when we grew up. Now, I mean, most of them are thirty eight, forty thousand seats, somewhere like that. Uh, I think you're right. There's something there to that, uh, for especially for those smaller cities. And as a player, it you don't really care or notice if you walk out on a field and it's 80,000 packed, you go, okay, well, it's a big stadium. That's 80,000, but you're not like more excited than, and you're in a cool stadium that might be 50,000 and it's maybe they're on top of you and you go, wow, it's, this is cool. It's small, but damn, they're all, all over us here. And it's loud. It still has the same set of intensity and feel of big game and everything that way to where I don't think anything would be lost off of that little formula you're talking about there. And, you know, it's it's all about
1: making it look good on TV. You need a full stadium, no matter how big or small it is. It needs to be to a certain size, so it's not pathetic. Oh, hey, packed stadium, but there's only 10 rows of seats. But there's a point where it really doesn't add to the feel. And the NFL is always keen on like Jacksonville's desire which it's it's why they had it's why they had the the blackout rule for so long. And right. The blackout rule got suspended like 7 years ago and never came back. But they wanted to encourage full stadiums so it looks good on TV. I mean, look at the you know, hey, look. USFL's doing well on TV, especially in comparison to other major sports. But those shots of empty stadium when it's not Birmingham, that's tough to get used to as a as a fan of football when Birmingham plays there's a lot of people there it's got a different feel and the NFL wants to have that full stadium it does not have to be 80 or 90,000 it doesn't add enough to the viewing experience to make it oh well there's 90,000 here instead of 60,000 who cares who cares because you know what the people in the upper deck those shots don't make it into the into the frame very, very rarely, often. anyway right. it's just
2: the lower bowl that you see no you're you're, you're exactly right uh but but you know to your point, it does. It makes the game you know, feel better, feel more important as the intensity. I, I, that's why I was saying Jacksonville. I didn't mean to yell at you or cut you off there, but I mean, just look at that. How many times do you turn on a game, even in the NFL, it's Jacksonville, and you look in the background and go, man, there's nobody in the crowd, and oh, it just doesn't look good. Damn, I don't want to watch this game, it's just not as good. There's a there's a, an example. They always got tarps over seats there to hide that and play with the numbers there. But I think that's what we're talking about. Cities like that to build a stadium that makes sense for your city that way and how many people live in your city and and get the right feel there. But uh, eh, Mike, I, I mean, I think you're right. It's inevitable. 18 games, extra teams on the you know in the league, all of that. It, it's only a matter of time. The current stadium with the largest base capacity is MetLife Stadium.
1: One of the head coaches of the two teams that play in that venue will be joining us when we return. Robert Sala of the Jets here on PFT Live right after this.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and